Thank you for joining our podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. Stay tuned as together we'll study God's Word. If you um, have a table that you like in your house and someone ever left a cup of ice water on it or something hot, has that happened to you? Right, and how do you get that out? You don't. You look at it every day and you just want vengeance. You're like, oh, like my kid's in ice water all the time. Ring, 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 ring. And mayonnaise doesn't get it out. I check Pinterest. Mayonnaise doesn't work. Heating it with an iron doesn't work. It just makes a big white mark on your table. So, but, th- but that's another picture of sin, a watermark. Now think about that. So when we step into the story today, we have this, this picture of something that's on us that you can't remove. There's there's no strategy for it. And so in light of that, missing the target, the pure, perfect center, twisted and turning from being battered in life, just having this watermark or this stain upon us. John writes, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. And when I read that, I'm like, you know, waiting. So what's the secret? What's the secret? Just tell me, because I don't want that. I want to know God and I want to live like a righteous life that's good and full of justice. And John says, but if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ. So he starts us off. I write to you so you won't sin. And his secret formula is not a way to not sin. It's to know Jesus. It's to encounter Jesus who does what? He stands for you. He fights for you. He sees you. He loves you. He says, I know they sinned, but I am going to take it upon me. So we're going to jump into John chapter eight to see how that all unfolds today, because there's a story about men and a woman and sin and Jesus in the middle of it. So if you've got your Bibles with you, open up to John chapter eight, somewhere in the middle of the Bible for those of you looking for it. All right. John chapter eight. It'll be on the screen as well. Then they all went home. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. And at dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. And the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. And they made her stand before the group and they said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? See, they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and he started to write on the ground with his finger, And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, let any one of you who was without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left. With the woman still standing there, Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Let's pray. 
Father, thank you for this face-to-face encounter where we see Jesus, your goodness, your gentleness, your kindness, and we see us. We see us in the judgment. We see us in the shame. Let us spend a few minutes walking tenderly through your story and finding how we might, we might encounter a life, a life that is good, that is centered on you, where we see you look at us and say, where are those who condemn you? And God, maybe today we see the stone in our hands and we drop it and we walk away and we consider what freedom could look like. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, my phone has been dinging at me. So if you're not silenced, if you wouldn't mind doing that so we all don't have a phone party this morning. Um, okay, so what's striking about this story at the very outset. We're going to walk through it, but what's really striking about it is that Jesus treats this woman as a social and human equal to the scribes and Pharisees. And there's a certain masculinity and even misogyny that exists in biblical times that just the way the story tells, the men drag the woman before these people and it's all about this woman being the object for the men to to use as a tool. And Jesus, at the very outset, when we look at this, there's a striking bit. He says, I don't play by your rules. I don't use your systems. I don't even use the systems you try to shape into this. I don't use them. So every time you come face to face with me, I'm going to confront what you might think is right, but ultimately cast other people aside. And so it's crazy because Jesus, and hear this, everybody in this story is guilty of sin. I was introduced to this story, and in your Bible, it might even say the story of the woman caught in adultery. Um, but that's not what the Bible says. That's just what we title this passage, which is interesting because this week I thought, why isn't it called the story of the men trying to catch a woman in adultery? Why isn't it called the story of the guys who were super judgmental? I mean, that story fits just as much and you'll see why. Because Jesus doesn't take us this road where he zeroes down on this woman. Everybody gets to jump in this pit of brokenness with him. And he says, watch, maybe you can be free. Maybe you too can be whole. When he speaks these words, let anyone who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. It's almost like he's pulling the past of all these men who've dragged this woman forward and he's bringing it in front of them and saying, your past does not have to be how you go forward. There's a better way. And when he speaks to the woman, neither do I condemn you. Go your way from now on. Do not sin again. It's like he invites her to a future a future that doesn't yet exist and she can't even imagine, but that's what the kingdom of God is about. It's, a, it's always about this reality that there's a future that is way better than the moment we find ourselves in today. So he invites both the scribes and the Pharisees and the woman to begin a new life. So this is a story about new life and we're gonna jump in. We're in chapter eight. Right away, they all went home and Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. And then the next morning, verse two, at dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. And I want to pause real quick and say, there's a reason this timing is so important. Jesus has just walked into the temple because this is a big deal in the life of Jerusalem, this time of year. I'm going to take you back to verse, to chapter seven and just read something out of that. It's chapter seven, verse 37. So this happens just before. On the last and greatest day of the festival, 
Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from them. Uh, Israel's experiencing a season of celebration right in this moment. They're experiencing a time, the Feast of Tabernacles, Festival of Tabernacles, a Feast of Booths. It's a time when the people of Israel would come together and they would remember God's goodness and God's provision. They'd remember when he gave them water in the desert and column of smoke and fire to guide them. They would remember that God is good and they'd remember that one day, one day God had a promise that a Messiah, a Savior would come. And so for a handful of days, the priests, this is all what happens before this moment with the woman. The priests would leave the temple carrying a golden pitcher and they'd walk a few hundred yards to this pool Siloam, which was like this, the, the pool of, of um, a never-ending water, a spring, a spray. it was a spring that was always fresh, water that never runs dry. And they would scoop water out and they'd go back to the temple and they'd pour it out. They'd pour it out where sacrifices were made. And for those days, they would celebrate that God will provide. And Jesus, as a rabbi, he's in Jerusalem. He's there during this feast and this celebration. And think about like your precious experiences, whatever they are, whatever like makes your family your family. That this is as high and significant as that gets. This festival, it's key to identity to purpose, to who these people are. It's key. And Jesus is there. And on the eighth day, which is a little unique because the eighth day is not part of the festival. The eighth day is Hoshana Rabbah, the great hallelujah, the great hosanna. And Jesus steps up in that moment while everybody's saying, someday God will provide again. And he says, I am what you're looking for. So that's your backstory. Jesus steps into this beautiful ceremony for these people and he steps right into it and physically goes, I'm the living water. They don't receive it well. They're, they start to argue amongst themselves. They're not happy about it. One of them, a guy named Nicodemus, who some of you have heard about before. Nicodemus is kind of open-handed. He's like, well, I don't know. let's see, maybe, maybe he is who he says he is. Let's wait and see. And that's what brings us into the story. That's important to note because it gives you a tone for why these uh, uh, scribes and Pharisees drag this woman before Jesus. He has just stepped all over their most important aspects of belief and identity. He's just stepped right in there. And he declared something so unright to declare that he is living water, that he's living water. And so the next day, it says the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery and they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery and in the law of Moses, it's commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? See, they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Now, let's not miss that when the scribes and the Pharisees drag this woman before Jesus, who has been caught in adultery, they are dehumanizing her. She's, a, she's an example for what they want to prove. They're turning her into an object for debate and discussion. As we walk through the story today, I want to encourage you to see how, how close we always are to that. Whatever the issue, whatever has happened today to us, to go, that thing, that's an object for the truth that I know must be communicated. That's exactly the position the scribes and Pharisees took. This woman needs to be the object of a point we need to make. They dehumanize her. She's not a person who's broken and hurting and cast out and in need of a new story and a new name and a new voice. She's an object lesson. 
And it's worth noting as, as we look at this text, I, I don't know what you saw, but we're going to jump into some aspects of it. Um, but when I, you hear this woman's dragged before this crowds and put out there, I don't know what like your, your visceral, like lizard brain reaction is. Are you sort of like, oh, it's a, it's a story, a woman, like it's two sentences. This stuff happened. Or is there a part of you that's like, this is horrific. When I read it this week, it actually gave me like a flashback to an encounter I had on that same trip to Tanzania where I was exploring who God was. One week, I just was frustrated with, I needed a break from the group I was with, from the, the Christianity. I needed a break. And so I left. I left the, the small village we were in and I hitchhiked into the city of Dar es Salaam. Dar es Salaam is this beautiful cultural city in Tanzania. And, um, and I, I was a Wazungu, a white guy, right? So the only Wazungu around that I could find. And I'm walking through Dar es Salaam. I'm just taking it in. And I'm getting like every vendor's get, I've got like giraffes and elephants. And I'm buying everything they offer me because all I know how to do is say jambo, which means like, hi, what news? And so they just keep giving me stuff and I don't know what to do. And I'm, I'm just having this beautiful day though. And then all of a sudden there's this commotion and there's, there's these two large Tanzanian men drag this other man out of a store and they're yelling and he's screaming, like really high pitched screaming. And they hold up a purse and they say something and the crowd gathers around him. And I'm like, what's happening? I'm the only non-Swahili non speaking Wazungu there. It's just a crowd in a community. I find out later that in this time in Dar es Salaam, the people had the right to enact martial law. They felt someone broke a crime. They could do, they could be judge, jury, and punishment all right there. And so they take this man, he's fighting, and they throw him in the back of a car and the two larger men drive in and they begin to punch him until he submits. And then they drag him out and a crowd of hundreds is gathered around him. And in my mind, I go, this probably isn't unlike the moment this woman was in. And as an observer in this story, it disgusted me deep inside. That a, that a person could be subjected to other people like this. And the two men go back in once the crowds have this guy. They come out with like the legs of tables, big wooden legs. And I realize they're going to beat this man right there on the street. And the crowd's gathered and they're actually getting excited about this. As it happens to us, right? We get caught up in things and they gather around. And I'm, I'm not sure. I look back and I actually think it was the spirit of God speaking to me. But he's like, stop this. So like, what do you do, right? You're an eight, I'm 18 years old. I'm a kid just sitting in a city I know nothing about. There's about to be someone being beaten with sticks and stop, this happens. And I'm praying, I'm praying. I do the only thing I know how to do in that moment. I run into the circle and just start screaming, stop, stop, stop. I'm in the circle and everyone's like, what's, where'd this white guy come from? Like, what is happening right now? And I'm screaming, stop, stop. And the commotion, in the commotion, the man runs and he gets out and the crowd cheers me. No, they don't. They are like angry. They don't know that like, the crowd is looking at me and they're saying, and I, all I get, I know is Jumbo, right? And then out of the blue, because some of you want to know how did it end, um, this guy from the church that we were living with happened to be in that part of the city. It's a big city at that time. And he ran in the circle and he basically said, I told him that you're just a dumb white guy who doesn't know what you're doing. And, and he took me away. I can, that was a long time ago. And I still remember the screams, the sound of the wood as they began to strike him before I ran in. And everything about it feels unhuman. So these scribes and Pharisees grab this woman caught in the act of adultery and they drag her to the crowds and they stand her up and they say, Jesus, this woman's caught in adultery. The law of Moses says we must put her to death and they're misstating the law of Moses. Because have you ever read this and gone, where's the guy 
Like, where, where'd he go? Where's the guy? The law of Moses calls for everybody caught in adultery to be involved in the punishment. Where's the man? And in my mind, I almost picture this is such a setup that the guy's part of the scribes and Pharisees. This is not what the Bible says. I'm making this up. This guy's part of the scribes and Pharisees. And when they break in and they get this woman, the guy like puts his robe and stuff on and he walks out and he's like, stoner, stoner, get her. Like the, he's caught up in it because where is he? Where'd he go? Kind of blows my mind. And who are these accusers? They catch this caught her in the act of adultery. They walked in. They found her in the act of adultery. How does that happen? Unless you plan it. Almost super creepy to think about. But they catch her in the act of adultery. And, and who, who's this woman? And as much as I want to state that this passage is not specifically about this woman, it is about Jesus. I don't think she's a great person. Adultery specifically had to involve marriage. So she is stepping in in her own role and breaking a marriage, tearing a home apart. Maybe her own home, his home, playing a part in that. She's stepping right into that. So it's not like she's just the innocent victim here. It turns out there's like, there really aren't any innocent victims. Just everybody who's given a chance by Jesus to experience freedom and grace. And so, but Jesus bent down and he started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Any one of you that's not twisted up a little bit because of sin battering in you in life. Any one of you that doesn't have a watermark that just, you know about it. You know it's there. You cover it up every chance you get, but you know it's there. Any one of you, any one of you who hits the bullseye of perfect living and righteous living every time. Any one of you be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. And at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and he asked her. I've got to imagine he looked her right in the eyes in a way she'd never been looked in the eyes before. And he says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she added. Then neither do I condemn you. There was somebody there who was without sin. There was somebody, it was Jesus. Jesus, by his own words, could have picked up a stone and condemned that woman. He doesn't have the watermark. He's not twisted up. He's perfect and he's sinless, but he's got such a big plan coming. He's gonna go to the cross and he's gonna show not only that woman, but all of us that we can be set free. He says, neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. And this is this crazy, perfect love. It's a love that, it's a relation between, between people that requires us to not just think like spasmatically, like I'm against them, I'm for them, I'm against them, I'm for them. We're on the same side, they're on the other side. And just get all caught up in our stuff. It actually requires us to never lose hold of a point of view that the other person has in life, what they encounter, what they experience, what they see, what life, we've got to hold that. Jesus shows us that. 
And it's interesting, so those of you who are practical, you know I'm relentlessly unpractical if you know me. Those of you who are going like, yes, but what do I do today, 2019, when I just feel like I need to say something? Just, I don't know, like, do, just do this. Just for a second. People will probably think you're weird at work or whatever, but just do, someone comes to you like, can you believe those people? Just go, yes. Just, just. And then while you're down there, ask yourself, Jesus, is it true you don't condemn me also? And then when you stand up, I hope what you have left to say is different than what you started with. We have to slow down and realize how good Jesus is. We have to. Before we charge off to tell everybody else, dragging them into the crowd to say, look, this person has sinned. So Jesus writes in the ground. And It's remarkable how divine holiness in this moment can tell a person who has broken the law, a law that is punishable. Now, if Jesus said, stone her, he would have broken Roman law and been punished for that because only Rome had the power to take life. Jesus didn't. It wasn't his choice. That's why Jesus was brought before Pilate, why the Sanhedrin brought Jesus before Pilate, so his life could be taken. So Jesus didn't even have the power to declare her death without breaking Roman law. And he would have to condemn her to, break, to keep Hebrew law. So he ends up at this place where he says to the woman, you're free. But do you know who else is free in this? There's two people. There's the person down here like this, waiting to have stones crashing around them. And there's the people holding stones like this, waiting to crash the stones down. They're both trapped. They're both in a hole. And they try to trick Jesus and throw him in the hole with him. And he gets in there. He's like, come on, come on. You're in here with me. If you don't have sin, drop your stones. And we believe, most of us who've grown up around the church, I think we believe those, ba- those men walked away like, oh, Jesus ruined my day. I, I don't know. We don't know. It's just as likely they dropped their stones and as they heard the thud on the ground, they walked away and went, maybe everything has changed. Maybe the whole system we've dedicated our life to to know God has been upended and God himself is here to meet us. We don't know, but that's just as likely as they walked away angry and upset. They encountered Jesus, and he just introduced the kingdom in this radical way. And I try to think about what this looks like. I'm a huge fan of The Greatest Showman Ever, and if you're not, there's an unsolvable rift between us. But what happens, The Greatest Showman Ever um, has this music set that I almost just feel like the Holy Spirit wrote it for us. I just feel like the words, the lyrics, the things that are said. And there's this one clip I found where they're green lighting the film. They're putting it out there for people to say yes to it. And it's, it's the song and the emotion that comes out. And I watched it and I wept the first time. And I said, oh, this is what Jesus does when he comes face to face with people. They change. They go because first John says, I'm writing you so that you won't sin. But if you do. You have an advocate who sets you free. And so we're no longer stuck like this or stuck like this and stuck here, stuck here. We're all offered freedom to live life free of shame, free of condemnation. But what does that mean? Um, I think I found the perfect imagery to capture it, what it looks like. So would you watch this and just let your heart kind of put yourself in it?
okay, so there's a lady. She walks in a room and there's a guy. Like, I think we're coming. We're going to wait a second on this. This is really important. So I don't mind waiting for a second because I want you to see this, put this woman and these scribes and Pharisees in this moment. Are we good? Oh, we're not good. So that's okay. You all have computers. I need you to go home. I need you to go on YouTube. I need you to type in greatest showman ever. This is me. And you'll see the clip I'm looking for. It's not from the movie. It's them pitching the song and the freedom and the love and the emotion and the expression that's there. It's to me, I go, that's the church I want to be part of. I want to be part of the church where we're up on our chairs looking at one another saying, I know you're broken, but you can be free. We're up on our chairs. We're just going like, I see you. You can be free. I'm with you. You can be free. And not a church that's going, yeah, but what about the law? Jesus will meet you right there and go, when did you get permission to ask that? You get permission to be free. That's your permission. Because, my dear children, I write you so that, so that you will not sin. And the secret of not sinning is knowing that you have an advocate who loves you, who asks you, so where are your accusers? Where are your accusers? Where'd your accusers go? There's only one accuser left. It's Jesus. And he takes his accusation right to the cross and takes all the sin of the world upon him to demonstrate how committed he is to us being set free. Let's pray. God, you're good. Thank you for setting us free. We sing together. May we have a lift in our step. May we, may we consider. May we consider how good you have been to us. And the next time we're about to hit a few keys on our keyboard or thumb a few words on our phone or say a few words to somebody, that we'll just kneel down for a moment. We'll say, Jesus, what would you say to me right now? And you know, he'd say to you, he'd go, why would you spend time doing that when you could spend time being loved by me? And if you've got a little bit of love, maybe give it away. Jesus, you're good. We will sin in our self-righteousness and we will sin in our pursuit of brokenness and immorality. We will just sin, we do. But we know you can set us free. Thank you, Lord, for setting me free from all the brokenness in my life and somehow keeping me from condemnation and being self-righteous. And God, for my brothers and sisters that just, they've been squeezing that stone so long and so hard and they just want to throw it. I pray you would let them set it down. Thank you for tuning in to our message podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. We would love the opportunity to connect with you more. We are located in Redwood City, California and you can find us online at wearepcc.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by simply searching for We Are PCC.